0: Good morning. Um, Good morning, my name is Caleb, if I haven't met you, I think we got some new people here um, I am not the, the regular uh, preacher on Sunday morning, so um, <laughs> don't judge your attendance in the future based on what you experience today So um, um, with that said, um, let's pray Heavenly Father, uh, gotta thank you for songs As we think this morning about the question of why do we sing, specifically why do we sing uh, as your gathered church, I pray this morning that you would make us better singers. Lord, I don't mean that you would help us hit higher notes or help us sing on key, although those things have some value, but God, I mean that we would be better singers that our hearts would sing in tune with you. But I confess that there have been so many times, as a worship leader, as uh, someone who sings a lot uh, in church, that the words I had sung have been empty. There's no affection, there's no love there for you. And so I pray this morning that you would teach us from your word the importance of singing of music, and of doing those things with hearts that burn for You. That we would not be those people that honor You with our lips while our hearts are far from You. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, we're going to ask the question this morning and hopefully answer the question, Why do we sing? Why did we just sing those songs? I love You, Lord. I lift my voice. Um, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. And when I get done, we're going to sing three or four more songs. Why do we do this? For those of us that have been raised in church, like myself, singing on Sunday morning with other people has become very common and is, for the most part, pretty comfortable. But if you have not been raised in church... Uh, Perhaps you've just started going to church. Perhaps this is the first time you've ever been to a church service. Um, This idea of gathering with people that you don't really even know and singing songs is very foreign to you, probably. I mean, think about any other organization that you're a part of, whether it be your school or where you work or clubs or whatever it is you do. Do you ever get together with those people for the purpose of singing songs about your boss or about the work that you do. Do you ever get together and sing songs about, um, I don't know if you work at a grocery store, just how wonderful groceries are, or uh, we just want to get together and sing songs to our boss, thanking him for all that he has done for us and the way that he pays us on time. Just whatever it is, I mean, we just don't do that. The closest thing that we have is probably, you know, as a school, we get together to a sporting event, we go to a sporting event, and we cheer together, or we sing the school fight song, right? But even in that experience, as you look around, you you notice that a lot of people don't sing, do they? It's only a select few. So it's because we know, I think, inherently that there's something very meaningful about singing. Which is why we don't get together and sing about groceries. We don't get together and sing about expense reports and paperwork and things that have to do with our jobs. Because we know that singing needs to be done somewhere where there's something more meaningful going on, right? Um, But let's face it. Getting together with a bunch of people every Sunday morning in order to sing songs together is very weird. It's definitely weird to the outside modern culture. It may not have been as weird in previous centuries when singing was more uh, understood and was a regular part of many people's lives. But in our American idol-obsessed culture, singing around other people is understood to be only for those select few that have been gifted enough to be able to carry a tune. Everyone else is relegated to singing in the shower or the car. So, why do we sing? The fact is that wherever religion has prospered, so has music and singing. This is true for Christianity and Judaism as well as pagan religions. Just think about powwows of the Native Americans or the bizarre cutting rituals of other pagan religions. These are always accompanied by music and singing. Doug Wilson has a great quote. Doug Wilson's a pastor in Idaho. Um, he, he says this God has created us with the functional ability to worship Him. The innate capacity to do what He summons us to do is built in. We must mature in these things, develop in them, grow in our sanctification, but we are honing a gift already given. One example is language hardwired into the very nature of the human brain. Another example is music. Man is musical by nature. This also is hardwired in us. There has never been a race of men without music. This is a function of the created order. But just as some of us develop talents for language, so also some develop their musical talents. This is well and good, but the Bible summons us to sing. When the Bible summons us to sing, it assumes that all of us will be doing so. Everything that has breath is to praise the Lord. We do not want some who play and sing and others who listen uh, any more than we want some to speak and others to be mute. All of us are created to be musicians at some level. So what he's saying there is that all of us are created with this functional ability to worship God. Mankind as a whole, in general, is musical by nature. So that means we can just sing whatever we want, right? As long as we're doing some kind of music, we are honoring to God. Well... Just look around, and we see that that, is, that can't be the case, because you see in our fallen condition the problem is not that God has given us music and singing, and we have rejected it. That's not the problem. The problem is that in our fallen condition we have twisted and abused the gift of singing by using it to worship the creation rather than the Creator. Right? We, we do this with all of God's gifts. All of God's gifts and graces that he gives to us, we have a tendency to twist them. We don't always outright reject what God gives us. We take it and we say, thanks for that, now let me go use it for what I want to use it for. We do the same thing with music, right? We have failed to develop our talents for the glory of God and instead waste them on the next best thing, love songs. This abuse of singing is even more apparent in our own day when we have access to more music than we ever have before. I mean, anybody with an iPod can sit down and hit the record button on an iPod and play on their guitar and record a song. That's not a bad thing. I think think it's a good thing. But when we have access to so much music, we see that people that God has blessed with amazing musical talents, very few of them actually use those talents for his glory. So... Singing is not really new, but is in fact a very ancient practice. But that begs the question even more. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? I think there's at least five reasons why we sing. The first reason is we are commanded. We're commanded to sing. You might say, okay, where are we commanded? Well, let's start with the Old Testament. Psalm 9.11, 9.11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Psalm thirty-four. sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints. Psalm 33.3, 3. sing to Him a new song. Psalm 47.6, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. Psalm 67.4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 68.4, sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to the Lord. Psalm 68.32, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord. We're not even halfway through the book of Psalms. We see that already we are commanded over and over and over to sing. Make melody, make music to the Lord. If thou shalt not kill is a command. So is sing to the Lord. Okay, What about the New Testament? Oh, by the way, in the Old Testament, uh, we are commanded seventy times in just in the Psalms to sing. In the Old Testament as a whole, over one hundred times, either implicitly or explicitly, we are commanded to sing. But what about the New Testament? Well, let's start with the example of Jesus. Did Jesus ever sing? we have an example of Jesus singing? It's probably up there on the screen. Yes. yes we do. <laughs> Matthew 2630. Uh, after the Lord's Supper, the scripture tells us that after they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is after Jesus and his disciples have um, the Last Supper. Jesus sung, Jesus sung. That in and of itself is an example uh, for us to follow. But are we explicitly commanded in the New Testament to sing? And, and yes, we are. And so there's two passages I'm going to spend a lot of time with today in the, New, in the New Testament, just kind of making some observations about them. The first is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 20. If you want to turn there, you can. These are going to b- both be up on the screen, uh, kind of parallel fashion, so we can compare them together. So Ephesians 5:15 to 21. And if you want to, you can just flip over uh, a few pages to Colossians chapter three. Just kind of keep your finger in both places there, if you want to. They're both going to be on the screen as well. Um, but it is, you know, it is important to to have it in your hand there. So Ephesians five fifteen to twenty one and Colossians three verses fourteen through seventeen. So Ephesians. Chapter 5, starting in verse 15, says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3, starting in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So we see already, if you paid attention when we read those, we, we see the same command, with the exact same word. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Right? And there's, when you read Ephesians and you read Colossians, the entire books are very, very similar. Paul addresses a lot of the same stuff. He uses the same wording a lot in both books. And so this is not surprising that he uses the same wording here. Um, but what we're going to do is just put them side by side um, and... And just make some observations about them. So the first observation I want to make about those two passages is the phrase, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is what we are commanded to do. We are commanded to sing with one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, what does that mean? We don't really know. <laughs> um, you know, reading commentaries and things like that, I mean, scholars, I mean people try to hash out these clear-cut categories, like these are psalms, and these are hymns, and these are spiritual songs. And, and, and then they try to import that into our modern our modern understanding of music, as in like, okay, Chris Tomlin's songs would fall into spiritual songs. Um, him, you know, if it's older than 100 years, it would fall into it. I mean, we just can't do that. Uh, we can't make those kind of assessments. We're kind of reading that back into um, the, uh, Paul's time. Basically, we, we can be pretty certain that that psalms really means psalms here. Paul probably means the, the psalms. Like from the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. There's 150 of them, right? They were collected by the Jews for the, for the express purpose of singing in worship. So that's probably what he means when he says psalms. So he commands us to sing those. We need to be singing the psalms, don't we? Which is why a lot of the songs that we sing contain language that is found in the psalms. Right? We could probably do more of that even. There's 150 of them. Um, they're not going to get old, right? If, as long as we you know, don't just keep singing the same one over and over, um, which a lot of worship songs do, but it's um, <laughs> another time. But when it comes to hymns and spiritual songs, basically what Paul is saying is, look, sing songs. Just sing a lot of songs, whether they be hymns or psalms or spiritual songs. The point is, sing songs, Right, one commentator says this: No rigid distinctions should be made between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul is simply emphasizing the rich variety in Christian songs, especially the three terms uh, heighten the idea. Essentially, the three terms heighten the idea of joyousness called for in the passage. If any differences are made, psalms may be taken to refer to the Old Testament psalter, hymns and spiritual songs to distinctly Christian compositions. That might be true. Right? So we have hymns and spiritual songs probably gathered by the Christian churches um, and, and used in their worship services. But the point is, sing, right? Sing songs. The second observation I want to make in both of these passages is that both passages closely associate singing with thankfulness. Both passages clearly say, sing with thankfulness in your hearts. Singing is the natural response to God's grace. Thankfulness is properly expressed when we sing. This means that we should always sing with hearts that are full of thankfulness to God. To sing with empty hearts or distracted minds is to honor God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him. When we get together and we sing songs on a Sunday morning or in our community group, if we do that with hearts that are not thankful, if we do that with hearts that are not burning with love and affection for Christ, then we are singing empty words. They are meaningless. So, my question for you is are you thankful? Do you come on Sunday morning, or do you go to your community group, if you sing in your community group, do you go there with thankfulness in your hearts, ready to sing? Because we know, don't we, as I said before, that singing belongs somewhere where there's something meaningful going on. We know that if we're singing, it's coming from the inside of us, because we're we're making melody. That That's not something that just happens on the surface of our being. But singing actually comes from within. Making melody. Um, using the gifts and, God has, and talents that God has given us. This, this comes from deep within us. And when you put that meaningful action with words that matter and words that are true about God, that is meant to well up and, and create affection for Christ and thankfulness for him. Does that make sense? So both passages closely associate singing with thankfulness. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. And the duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. I think this quote is up there somewhere. Go ahead. There you go. This is a good one. You don't want to miss it. (laughs) And the duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. This is true about us. Music has a tendency to move our affections. And if that's the case... God has given that gift to us. Let's use it. Let's put good words to good music so that we can have true, good, holy affection for Christ. Right? Those things are not mutually exclusive. Now, this is also why the words that we sing are so important. Words combined with music are meant to raise our affections for Christ so that our hearts actually burn with passion for him, and in that experience, our hearts are transformed more into the likeness of Christ. The words of our songs must not only be biblically informed, they must also be crafted in a way that penetrates the depths of the human soul, right? So this is, this is a call for us to write songs, This is a call for us to pick songs in our worship services and wherever we gather, if we're going to sing together, to pick songs that are not only musically affecting, but that have words that affect us. True words about God. If you know anything about modern worship music, you know there are thousands of worship songs out there. There are very few good worship songs out there. Um... New ones, right? Um, and so we need, we need to be selective. We need to make sure that the words we are singing are true about who God is. They are biblically informed. They are solid. They are they are um, not only do they not have a we don't want just a melody that's going to make our voices sound good or create harmonies that sound good. We want we want that. But we want that to be combined with biblical and theological truth, right? And we'll see why. Calvin says Certainly, if singing is tempered to a gravity befitting the presence of God and angels, it both gives dignity and grace to sacred actions and has a very powerful tendency to stir up the mind to true zeal and ardor in prayer. We must, however, carefully beware lest our ears be more intent on the music than our minds on the spiritual meaning of the words. There cannot be a doubt that the practice is most sacred and salutary. On the other hand, songs composed merely to tickle and delight the ear are unbecoming the majesty of the church and cannot but be most displeasing to God. So, let's have songs. If you're a musician, let's write songs. Let's sing songs that are musically affecting um, combined with words that cut to the core of our hearts. The third uh, observation I want to make about those two passages, if they can be back up on the screen, um, is is that both passages instruct Christians how to relate to one another. Both of these passages instruct us that we are to relate to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What does that mean? Does that mean that when we walk through the door, we're just all of a sudden just musically addressing one another? You know, hello, Jim Smith. You know, <laughs> and we start singing a psalm together at that point, and just make it really awkward for everyone. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what it means. So we're going to start that next week. Um, no, I don't think that, that, that that's what it means. Um, I think it's I think it's similar to that. Um, but what does it mean to relate to one another in psalms hymns, spiritual songs? Well, I think at the very least, it means this: that when we sing. We are not just singing to God. We are singing to God, but we are singing to one another as well. So when we sing, it's okay to look around and even sing the truths of God to one another. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever done this? And we, for some reason, it's become like just the standard uh, practice when we sing worship songs, that we, we stand and we close our eyes, right? And we're just maybe raising our hands and we close our eyes. And I've even heard worship leaders, me, um, <laughs> say, say things in my younger days, uh, say things like, just draw a circle around yourself, you know? <laughs> if you could just, if just to pretend it's just you and God alone in the room, just draw a circle around yourself and close your eyes and just worship God. And that sounds really spiritual, And it may, I mean, I'm not saying there's not value in that kind of thing every now and then. Um, It definitely can create an emotional response. But when we read these passages where we are instructed to address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, I don't know how else to do that other than, having our eyes opened and looking around and singing these songs together, putting our arms around one another and singing things like, praise is rising, eyes are turning to you, we turn to you, hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you, we long for you. Imagine singing that to one another, saying that together. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence all our fears are washed away. Hosanna, hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. We don't sing that with our eyes closed. That's a corporate song. We sing that with our eyes open. We sing that holding hands with our spouse. We sing that with our arms around our friends and we say, "Hosanna, hosanna. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Glory to God, you are the God." Who saves us? That's a corporate song. Let's do that together. So, the fourth observation I want to make about these passages, and we could go on and on. There's so many similarities and just wonderful things here. But um, the last observation I want to make about these passages is that both passages instruct us to sing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, our singing is to be informed by the gospel. What does that mean? Well, let's think about it for a minute. What right do you have? What right do I have to address God in any way? We have no right. What do we deserve from God? Do we deserve his ear? Do we deserve his grace? Do we deserve him listening to us and taking honor In our worship of him? No. What do we deserve from God? Wrath. We deserve hell. We deserve death. We deserve immediate judgment. So if that's the case, what right do we have to address God? How do we have access to him? How do we know he's going to hear us when we sing to him? What's the point of gathering together if if we're not even worthy to do so? And this is meaningless in God's ears. Well, we have access to God and our right to God is found in Christ. In the name of Jesus. Do you ever wonder why people close their prayers in Jesus' name I pray? Amen. Um. It's because it's in the name of Christ or through the name of Christ or because of the blood of Christ that we are saying this prayer. It's only through Him that we have access to God. And so when we pray, we ask these things in His name. Not in my name. Who am I? I deserve wrath and hell and judgment. The same thing goes for singing. We sing in the name of Jesus. What we are singing is meaningless unless we are singing it in the name, under the umbrella of Christ, right? He is our access to God. God is more impressed with Jesus than he is with our songs about Jesus. God's not impressed with us. Uh, many many of you have wonderful voices. That's not what God wants. Um, he's not impressed by that. He is impressed by His Son. He wants you to be clothed with Christ's righteousness. And if you are, then you have access to God. And then you can freely worship. Now, How does that happen? Well, if you're here this morning, and these words about God's wrath and hell and judgment are very new to you, or maybe don't make a lot of sense, I just challenge you to think about that. I mean... Do you sense, do you know deep down that you are under God's wrath? Do you know that you deserve hell and judgment and eternal death and separation from God because of your sins? You know, God doesn't just lay down arbitrary laws like don't kill, don't steal for no reason. Um, He lays them down because it's part of his nature, right? Because God is a God of truth and God is a God of life. And So when we sin against God, whether it's lying or cheating or stealing or thoughts that don't honor Him or not loving Him the way we should, that is an affront to His character. And when um, when you are an affront to the character of God, an eternal God, a holy God, you deserve an eternal punishment. And if that's true of you, which is true of all of us, then I just plead with you this morning to repent. Turn to Christ. Because the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for you is your only hope. You cannot atone for that sin on your own. If you just try to live a better life, you will fail. You cannot live a better life. The only life that will make make you acceptable to God is the life of Christ. So I just encourage you to repent of your sins and flee to Christ this morning. And then... We have access to God. And then when we get together, we have something to sing about. So what have we seen so far from these passages? We've seen that um, both passages mention psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We see that um, both passages closely associate singing and thankfulness. We see both passages instruct Christians how to relate to one another. Both passages instruct us to sing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our songs should be Christ-focused. Our songs should raise our affections for Christ. Our songs should contain gospel truths. And that's all point one of why do we sing. The second reason why we sing, and these will all go a lot faster, is that singing is a display of of the church's unity and diversity. Now think about this just r- real quick with me. We could, This is, could take a long time to, to go through all this, but basically what do you have when you sing together? You have melody and you have harmony. You can sing the melody, you can sing the harmony. Some of you don't sing either, and that's fine too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point is, music in and of itself is a picture of the unity and diversity we have in the church. When we sing together, we are putting on display for the world, for God, the the fact that we are all here for a common purpose. Because even when you sing harmony, you are singing harmony. You are singing with the melody. It makes sense with the melody. There are certain notes that go with certain notes, and certain chords that match certain keys, and all this stuff. Music, by its very nature, is a picture of the triune unity of God the father, son, and the holy spirit, 3 in 1 together, they are one, they have one common purpose, right? All of this is a picture of who God is. So when we get together and we sing, we are putting God's character on display. That's amazing. Singing is not just it's not empty, right? It's full of rich meaning. Greg Gilbert, who's a a pastor, puts it this way. Here's the thing. When you sing in a congregation, this is a long quote, I know, I'm sorry. Um, It's really good. You're not just singing for yourself. You're singing for every other member of the congregation. For their edification and building up in Christ too. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells us that when we come together, everything we do, including our singing, is done for each other. Singing hymns is not just an opportunity for each of us as individuals to worship God in our own way. It's an opportunity for the church as a whole to worship God together. That means that even if you don't like a particular song, it's likely that someone else in the congregation resonates with it deeply. They feel about it the same way you feel about your favorite. And so you have a responsibility to love that person by singing that song with all the heart you can muster. In other words, don't check out on songs that aren't your favorites. Sing them. And sing them loud and heartily. Not because you particularly like them, but because you may be helping to edify another brother or sister whose heart is engaged deeply with those songs. Worship isn't finally an individual experience. It's corporate and everything we do, everything, Paul tells us, including our singing, should be done for the building up of the saints. That's a great quote. Um, and as a worship leader, I know, like, I can testify to the truthfulness of that statement. Um, because there are times when I am, I'm up here, I'm, there's a lot going on. It may not seem like it, but there's a lot to remember. Um, as a, a worship leader, and just a lot of just busy kind of things you have to remember when you're doing it. But when I look out and I see a brother or a sister or, or many of you engaged in worship and you are um, just singing with all of your might, now obviously I don't know what's going on in your heart, but the point is, I see something on the outside, and then, man, that immediately pushes me to focus my attention on Christ. I mean, when I see others worship, man, I want so I see, man, Sarah's getting into this. I want some of what Sarah's getting right now. And so that's just encouraging to me as a worship leader. And I mean, let that be encouraging to you guys. It's another reason, another encouragement to open our eyes when we sing. The third reason we sing is because singing is evangelistic. And we don't have time to get into this too much. But I just want to read four passages from the Psalms um, and just make a quick comment about them. Psalm 1849, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Psalm 57, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 67, four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Psalm 108, 3, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Now, what do these all have in common? This is the psalmist saying, I'm going to sing to God, and I'm going to call the nations to join me. I'm going to call the nations to join me in singing to this Hebrew God. Right? Right? Now, that ought to strike us as strange, because in the Old Testament, you know, you have the Jews as God's chosen people. Everyone else is kind of on the outside. But as you read through the Psalms, you see there's this close connection between worship or singing and the nations. Because God's people are meant to sing in the open. They are meant to, to, for the world to see them praising and worshiping God so that when the nations see this, they say, I want some of that. That God is real. Look at what God is doing among those people. They shouldn't love one another. They should hate one another. But there's true love going on there. Whatever's going on there, I want to go see what it is. And so the nations begin to gather to the Jews, or at least that was the plan, right? So there's a close connection here throughout the scriptures between singing or worship and the nations. So singing is meant to be evangelistic. Doug Wilson, I quoted him earlier. He says this, One of the things we should notice in Scripture is the close association of the music of the people of God and the nations of men. There is a regular appeal throughout Scripture asking the nations to hear us when we sing. This is very interesting. The music of the saints, rightly done, is universal and evangelistic. The music of the saints, wrongly done, becomes church music, set off in a ghetto of its own perhaps to be respected and perhaps despised, but always isolated. What do we have today? We have a ghetto of Christian music. Many a country singer claims to have roots in gospel over there. There are musical similarities to be sure, but we are careful to maintain genre walls. If our music is not having an effect upon the nations, we cannot change it by tinkering with the notes or finding better songs. Rather, we need to sing to God with overflowing hearts and with a true living faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do, the music will do what only the Spirit of God can do with it. If we do not have faith in the gospel, and I mean, of course, vibrant faith, then the better the music gets the more we will sound like trained professionals. When we look around in our world today, does the lost secular world want trained professionals? No, they want authentic worship. They want authentic music. They want authenticity in what they see in the church, don't they? They don't want trained professionals. They don't want um, church music. It's very interesting. We could talk about this for a long time. This idea that that our music should be universal and evangelistic. But the point is, singing is meant to be evangelistic. Right? So when we sing, we are calling the nations to join us. The fourth reason we sing is that is very simple. We remember what we sing. This is common sense, right? One of the reasons why we sing um, here at Redeemer is because singing is a very valuable teaching tool. If you want to memorize something, is it easier to memorize it by just putting it on paper and reading it 50 times? Or is it easier to memorize if you put those words to music? I think most of us would say, yeah. I mean, I memorize words to songs way easier than I just memorize words on a page, right? Um, We know this. So one of the reasons why we sing is because we remember what we sing. Now, this, once again, hits the importance of singing good songs. Because what do you want to remember? What do you want to memorize? Things that are false about God? No, you want to memorize and be able to recall and be able to use true things about God things that are that are vibrant things that that create affection in you so that when you leave here on Sunday morning you have songs to take with you you have tools you have knowledge and truths to take with you so that you can sing those throughout the week i mean think about and can it be right that old hymn and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused him pain. And to him who death pursued. (laughs) Something like that. That's a great theological truth. I mean, the only reason I know any of that at all is because we sang it many times. Just great, rich truth. You can take that with you. Because you memorize it. You know it. Because you sang it. So, we remember what we sing. Um, you know, in the um, in the fourth century, there was a man by the name of Arius. He was a uh, very early heretic in the in the uh, the church. I don't even you could say he was in the church, but um, he began teaching that Christ was a created being, um, and his motto was a catchy little phrase like this: "There was when he was not." And so that phrase "There was when he was not" became the motto for all of his followers. The Arians, right? So they would just walk around and they would sing this little song that contained the phrase, there was when he was not. And that was one of the main ways that the Arian heresy was spread, was through music. They put their own false teachings of Jesus into music. It just is a testimony to the effectiveness of music, right? And the fact that it is a teaching tool. And this is true for children, man. If you want want to teach our children, let's teach our kids songs, that a glorify Christ, songs that contain rich doctrinal truths. I mean, there's such value in remembering what we sing. So, what have we seen so far? Why do we sing? The first reason we sing is because it's commanded. second reason we sing, I don't remember, is that singing is a display of the church's unity and diversity. The third reason is because singing is evangelistic. The fourth reason is because we remember what we sing. The fifth reason, and by not any means the last reason, this is the last reason that I have today, is that singing is a foretaste of heaven. This is one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why we sing in our churches because when we sing, we are Doing what we are going to be doing for all of eternity. It is a picture of eternity. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, starting in verse 6. says this, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That is what we will do for all of eternity. We are going to be gathered around the throne of God. We are going to be singing the praises of the Lamb who was slain. Now if you're here this morning, and the Lamb who was slain... doesn't make any sense to you, or if you're here this morning and and you you sense that this lamb who was slain um, hasn't really done anything for you, I just encourage you this morning to pray, to ask God to convict you of sin, to reveal your need for a Savior, because you want to be here. (laughs) Because remember, singing and music is hardwired in you. You are meant to sing for all of eternity. That's what you were created to do. And so if you're here this morning and you have nothing to sing about, I just encourage you, I just want you to know that Jesus is calling out to you this morning. He wants your life. He wants your, your devotion and your love and your affection. He is saying... I can give you something to sing about. I can give you a people to sing with. Repent. Turn from your sin. Trust Christ. His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for any sin that you may have committed. Some of you may think that there is no way possible anyone could love me. You may have been involved in some of the 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 worst immorality any of us have ever heard. But I want you to know this morning that you are not alone. That um, you are in a room full of once God-haters. None of us are good. None of us deserve God's grace. And the fact of the matter is, a sinful thought is deserving of eternal punishment as much as... um, fulfilling that sinful thought actually doing it so this morning we are all sinners God, God's wrath is on all of us but also the love of Christ the, the, the gospel is reaching out to us, the good news that there is forgiveness and hope in Christ is with us as well and in that hope in the name of Jesus we will have something to sing about So now as Ben comes, uh, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a few songs together, and we're um, just let this be a time where we where we sing to God with eyes that are open, with hearts that are burning and full of affection for Christ. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of music. Um, I really believe that you have you have you have hardwired. Music into the fabric of creation. It's part of who we are. We are musical people. God, that is a gift from you. And so this morning, I pray that we would use that gift properly. I pray that as we sing these songs, we would sing them with hearts that are right and true. That we would sing with repentant hearts. Hearts that are denouncing sin and fleeing from sin and trusting in Christ and hoping in Him as our only access to You. And God, God, I pray for Redeemer Church that You would grow us numerically, but God, I pray that You would grow us deep into gospel truth. That our songs and our worship would be so informed by the gospel that, that when we sing, our hearts would be overflowing with love and affection for Christ. We pray these things in His name. Amen.